Hello and welcome to Stories of the Second World War. Today I'm joined by Ray Harris Jr., host of the History of World War II podcast. This is a man who I hold in great regard. I have been a fan of his World War II podcast for many, many years, and I'm so delighted to have him on our show today. Ray, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And I enjoy your uh, series on the Vikings. So mutual respect both ways. Oh, thank you so much, sir. You're a true gentleman. Well, I'm excited to explore our topic of discussion today, Operation Compass. We've talked about North Africa in two episodes on this podcast before, both in relation to Field Marshal Erwin Rommel. But Operation Compass was a military engagement that happened before all of the interesting stuff involving Rommel and El Alamein and Tobruk, which we talked about with Daniel Allen Butler and uh, Bernhard in our last two episodes. So uh, very basically, maybe for those who aren't familiar, Ray, uh, what was Operation Compass? Well, just picture the end of 1940. You've got the Battle of Britain. The The British are pretty much, in a lot of ways, alone taking on the um, the Axis powers. Um, London is being bombed. You know, there's a threat of uh, Operation Sea Lion, uh, the Germans crossing the English Channel. So the, the British are at their low point. And um, it's like, what is going to happen? The Americans are, are not in the war yet. And they don't want to be in the war, quite frankly. And the big concern for the British Empire at this point is Egypt. If the Italians in North Africa push through Egypt, then suddenly all of the Middle East and all that oil is open to them. So the British make a top priority of protecting Egypt. But having said that, they've only got so many troops in the area. So uh, Operation Compass is the British and the Commonwealth Forces attempt to check the Italians as they invade Egypt uh, near the end of the year. They have to come up with something and the man on the spot is Lieutenant General Richard O'Connor. He comes up with an idea for a five-day raid that is supposed to slap the nose of the Italians, push them back. He runs it by his boss, General Wavell. But as we're going to see, Operation Compass becomes so much more than a five-day raid. So in North Africa, where were the Commonwealth troops located? Yeah, so the uh, the Commonwealth troops that we're going to be talking about, the Western Desert Group, is um, on the western side of Egypt, keeping an eye out on the Italians who are in the uh, the eastern part of uh, Libya or Cyrenaica. Now, what's what's staggering about this is that the Italian general, Marshal Rodolfo Graziani, he's got like a hundred and fifty thousand men. He's got sixteen hundred guns. He's got six hundred tanks and tankettes. He's got over three hundred aircraft. And opposing him was Richard O'Connor with his 31,000 men. He's got the 4th Indian Division, and he's got the 7th Armored Division, which is known as the Desert Rats. Obviously, they become famous um, after this. But he's got 31,000 men to check the 150,000 Italians that are staring at them. So when does the action really begin to ensue? You know, you mentioned a potential five-day raid, but obviously... As you mentioned, Operation Compass became something a lot bigger. So when does the action really, really start and how does it start, the initial conflicts? Right. So uh, Marshal Graziani, who's being goaded by Mussolini, he invades Egypt on September 13th, 1940. Uh, to make a very long story short, because of his lack of logistics and planning, he only goes about 40 miles into Egypt. Uh, 40 or 50 miles, and he reaches City Barani, but then he stops. His logistics just can't handle it. He has come with 80,000 men, but they have had some success. And 
after they reach City Burbani, they just stop. And so the British and the Italians and the Commonwealth forces are just staring at each other. And this is when Richard O'Connor says, we have to do something because they could just overwhelm us. So he comes up with the idea of Operation Compass. And um, he runs it by his boss, General Wavell. Wavell gives him the command. But see, Wavell is nervous about this. Wavell is in charge of the entire Middle East. He can't focus too many forces on just one area. So he's like, okay, hit them for five days and then pull back. And hopefully that will take care of everything. And that's what uh, O'Connor is going to do. But O'Connor is this unsung hero. He's this brilliant man who searches the terrain himself. In fact, he almost gets captured a couple of times by the Italians because he gets so close to the front lines. He inspects everything. He makes his troops practice for their raids. And he comes up with the plans um, for uh, Operation Compass. But again, it's just supposed to be a five-day raid, smack the nose, and pull back and see what happens. But it becomes so much more because the Italians fall apart and because of the training and the preparation of the Indians and the 7th Armored. Interesting. So, you know, they're not really talked about as much. They're eclipsed by the armies of the British and Commonwealth forces, the Germans, the Russians, the Americans. But what did the Italian army uh, look like at this time? Yeah, I mean, they've got a preponderance of men. They've got 150,000 troops. Now, unfortunately for them, they're not as mobile as the British. Even though the British is a lot smaller force, they have a lot more vehicles, uh, trucks, carriers, that kind of thing, lorries, they call them. But still, when you have 150,000 men and you've got some tanks, if you deploy them correctly and if you plan, you could just overrun the British take your losses and keep going. But Graziani was just so timid, that's not what's going to happen. And that's one of the things that uh, General O'Connor figures out by sending raids into the Italian lines that they're very skittish, uh, they're not very well set up. And there's a lot of, uh, within the Italian army, there's a lot of locals who have been um, conscripted into the Italian army. So on paper, the Italians look very impressive. But when you get to the reality of it between their light tanks they're having people, uh, locals fighting for them that probably really don't want to. They're not as tough as they could be, but Richard O'Connor figures that out and he exploits it. So far, you haven't mentioned the German army during this. Were the Germans even involved in this conflict? Were they busy elsewhere? Did they still have faith in the Italians at this point? <laughs> I don't know if I would use the word faith, but uh, Hitler figured out pretty early on that Mussolini was a paper tiger. Uh, the, the Italians had had some success in Eastern Africa before the war started, but they were fighting Ethiopians and, and things like that, Eritrea. And so the Germans are totally focused. You know, this is, this is right after France is taken in the Low Countries. And we have Operation Sea Line going on. We had the Battle of Britain. And so there are a lot of troops a lot of German troops in northern France supposedly getting ready to cross the English Channel. I don't think that Hitler really wanted to do that. I think he was trying to intimidate the British into uh, coming to the negotiating table. But right now, the Germans aren't involved. This is an Italian affair. But Hitler and Mussolini are hoping that they have so much more men than the British that this will somehow work out. I see. So obviously, the consequences of Operation Compass resulted in astounding Allied victory. But how did that come to be? You know, how did the Allies come to win the day? Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll give you a high level uh, uh, going through the motions of Operation Compass. And what's amazing about this is, like we said a minute ago, this was just supposed to be a five-day raid, but it unfolds so well, but not perfectly for the British and the Commonwealth forces. 
you really can't justify stopping. You know, it's it's like playing chess or anything else. When you have your opponent on the run reacting, you keep it going just because if you stop, they're going to regroup and come after you. So as far as Operation Compass goes, it starts on December 7th, 1940. And this is the 7th uh, Armored with the uh, 4th Indian Brigade. And what it is is when the Italians stopped advancing, they set up a long line of fortifications about 50 miles long inland from the coast. But they left these very impressive gaps. And Richard O'Connor, the general, found one of these gaps. So he sends his men out on December 7th. Um, by the 8th, they get to this gap and there's literally no one to oppose them of the Italian line. So they just keep going. They just drive right on through like it's a highway. But it's on December 9th that the fighting starts. And again, Richard Connor, brilliant, he planned all this out. Some of his tanks would keep going to the northwest and they would go to the coast. And what it is, is if they can reach the coast, then the entire Italian position is cut in half, which, as you know, is a horrible thing if your forces are cut in half like that. Another part of uh, Richard O'Connor's force, it's called Selby Force. They're along the coast. They got some garrison troops and some tanks. Their job is to just pin some Italians down there and keep them busy. The main part of Operation Compass is the 4th Indian Division supported by tanks. They go into this gap, turn around to the right, get in behind the, the first Italian camp they come to, Nabiwa, and they find out, even though this camp has got minefields all around it, there's one little alley that's accessible. And they watch the Italians and they watch the trucks go in and out. And so they figure that out. They storm in on 7 a.m. on December the 9th, and the Italians are still heating up their breakfast when the uh, the British and the Indians just come pouring in. So this camp falls. It falls very quickly. There's very little loss for the Commonwealth forces. And O'Connor just repeats this over and over. And so by three days of fighting, this front line of the Italians is captured or they've been driven back and they've gone all the way back to eastern Libya. So they have lost all their gains that they made in three days of Operation Compass. What were the casualties like following the sort of conclusion of the, the conflict? What's amazing is that the British and Commonwealth forces, they have uh, a lot of wounded, but they don't have too many dead. Um, there are some Italian dead, but most of them surrender when they see it's hopeless. So pretty soon, the um, the British and the Commonwealth suddenly have thousands upon thousands of prisoners that they have to deal with, which makes their life even harder. But they don't have too many casualties themselves. I think it's like 400 dead or wounded for the Allies. Wow, that's truly amazing. So now you talked about General O'Connor quite a bit there. What kind of man was he, especially in regards to Operation Compass? Well, see, this is what's amazing is because he's a lot like General Rommel. He is literally a man on the ground, you know, going to the front himself, taking apart and everything that he possibly can. In fact, in some ways, he's probably like Rommel, doing too much. Um, he, sh he should just step back and, and delegate orders. But he gets involved. He goes to the front. He assesses the situation, the land, the enemy's disposition himself. Uh, he's a very brave man. But see, what is amazing about all of this is that during the entire Operation Compass, O'Connor has a serious stomach ailment that right when this is finished, and he's suffering the entire time, he's in a lot of pain. But right when this is finished, he's going to have to go back to Alexandria, I believe, and have surgery. I mean, he's got some He's got some serious issues. So he's able to deal with that pain, work through it, plan everything out, 
and and then and then later on he's going to get he's going to get himself healed but here's the amazing part because they're so successful they quickly go past what general o'connor has planned for after they take the initial italian positions of, of the camps the string of camps they're winging it. They're doing the best they can. They haven't had a chance to plan this far because they didn't think it would work this well. They know they have to keep going. Richard O'Connor knows he has to keep going, but this is not planned out. He's just going to use the experience that his staff and his men have and just keep pushing the Italians as far back as they can, again, to keep Egypt safe. And what was the uh, Italian leadership like? Here's the great irony of Operation Compass, General, excuse me, Marshal Graziani, for the Italians, developed his own um, version of uh, Blitzkrieg, of lightning warfare. He, he developed it when they were fighting the Ethiopians about using, you know, massed tanks, move fast or whatever. So he had his own version of the German file of uh, a German style of fighting, but he, for whatever reason, he didn't use it against the British. He didn't amass his armor. They were all scattered out. So he learns these valuable lessons, develops this theory, and then ignores his own theory when the British attack, um, and, and which absolutely defies logic. But he didn't. And again, O'Connor realized this, takes advantage of it, and just keeps pushing the um, Italians back. And I do have to say real quick that we all know, if you've studied World War II, we all know that when Germany uh, hit France, the war in the West, the French were so defeatist at that point, um, the Germans shouldn't get all the credit for that victory. That's kind of the same thing here. Graziani, for whatever reason, is so either intimidated by the British or skittish or whatever. He's always stopping. He's always asking for reinforcements. He's always asking Mussolini, can he retreat further and further and further? Um, But he just wasn't the man in charge that they needed to take on uh, the Desert Rats in the 4th Indian Division. Now, sort of talking about, apart from the British themselves, sort of the uh, Commonwealth forces that you know fought alongside them during the battle, those would have been absolutely essential to the British army as a whole during the Second World War. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the you know Australian, New Zealand, um, Africa, and other places that would have fought with the British? What were they like? Yeah, these were uh, these were obviously uh, Commonwealth forces. Um, they were very, as we're going to see during Operation Compass and afterwards, they were very tough men. They were very hardy men. But fighting in the desert is its own particular form of fighting. So the Indians have been trained. Um, they've been able to practice in the desert. So the Indians actually during all of this, the Indian, the fourth Indian division was amazing. They were exuberant about this. They thought Richard O'Connor's plan was, was fantastic and they really did their job with enthusiasm. However, just days into Operation Compass, General Wavell says to, um, Richard O'Connor, look, I've got to pull the fourth Indian out. They've got to go somewhere else. They got to go to East Africa because we have to deal with the Italians there. And, and General O'Connor's like, are you kidding me? We are literally in the middle of a, an operation that is succeeding and you want to take my infantry away. And uh, General Wavell goes, so I'm going to give you the 6th Australian Infantry. But that's not the point. They haven't fought here in Africa before. They're going to have to land, be trained. And we don't have time for that because we are literally in the middle of an advance. The 6th Australian comes in. And fortunately for everyone involved, except for the Italians, uh, these guys are pretty tough. They're pretty hardy. They're intelligent. They figure it out. Um, they, they get in, and even though it does cause a delay in the fighting, which is going to be paused until January, the Australians do themselves proud. 
but because you're dealing with Commonwealth forces, later on when Pearl Harbor comes, and it comes soon upon this time, the uh, Prime Minister of Australia is going to want to bring all the Australian troops back to protect his country, but Churchill um, doesn't allow that. But again, all these various parts, like you said, they were absolutely critical to the British system, uh, their military system, because the Brits alone just did not have enough men to be able to fill out their infantry. If it wasn't for the Indians, if it wasn't for the Australians, and them being very tough professional fighters, it would have went even worse for the British up until Pearl Harbor. Absolutely. So following the uh, following Operation Compass, what was sort of the um, aftermath and the subsequent conflicts that arose from this resounding Allied victory? Yeah, th- this is what makes it so amazing. So the Australians come in, they're game to go. And what it is, is the the Australian infantry is going to keep pushing along the coast. You cannot let the Italians reset. Richard O'Connor takes his artillery. He has them literally cut across the desert in Cyrenaica, that big bulge in North Africa. This has never been done before. He could have lost everything. But the point is, the Italians go up to the north. The uh, British armor cuts across and they meet up and they're able to stop the Italians from completely retreating. I think it's the, uh, the British are able to capture like 10 divisions worth of Italians. They get a whole bunch of tanks, they get trucks, they get supplies. And here's what's amazing for me is that as soon as this is over, General Wavell, along with Churchill, calls a halt to it. They look, they're like, this is incredible. You've done more than we possibly thought you could. Now we need to take almost all of your men and we're going to send them to Greece because the Germans are coming to Greece. So they leave a, a minimal force in place with inexperienced men, with inexperienced leader, because again, General O'Connor's got to go have surgery for his stomach. And at this point, when the British defenses are at their absolute thinnest, this is when General Rommel lands. This is when the first elements of the of the Africa Corps come. And it's not going to take very long for Rommel. And Rommel lands on March 25th, 1941. He gets his forces. He sees how thin the British are, and he launches his attack and he takes back, in a very short order, almost everything that the British had taken from the Italians. So this incredible victory is pretty much all for nothing, because Rommel, with his dash and his daring ways, takes it all back in a short order. And what became of Richard O'Connor? Oh, this, this is actually kind of sad. He, so he has a surgery, he recuperates, and then the situation with, with um. General Rommel coming is so bad, they ask O'Connor to take over. And again, because he's such a professional, he's like, look, I don't know what's going on. I don't know the details. It would be insane for me to take over because I don't know the lay of the land, but I will advise. So he comes back. And again, being the daring person that he is, a lot like Rommel, he gets in the car, he drives up to the front line to you know get the lay of the land. And it's there that he is captured by a German patrol. And he's going to spend the next two and a half years as a prisoner of the Italians, um, I think near Florence, if I'm, but certainly in Italy. And he's going to try twice to escape. He's going to be recaptured both times. Um, but I think it's by 40, late 43 that he is eventually released by the Italian resistance. Um, but he spent, basically spends the rest of the war, or a lot of it, as a prisoner of war of the Italians. But they do treat him like an officer and a general. How interesting. So one question just about the conflicts in North Africa as a whole, you know, I think when people talk about various military engagements in in North Africa during World War II, we tend to 
Envision it as just swaths of flat, dry desert, very flat, and, and men sort of firing at each other. Sort of talking about the landscape of these conflicts, was it very much like that, or were the engagements uh, centered around, for example, bodies of water, you mentioned oil, uh, places where resources were available? Well, this is what makes the war in North Africa so fascinating. The Italians, because of, for whatever reason, they pretty much stick to the main roads, the paved roads, uh, which is another thing that ties up Graziani because uh, Richard O'Connor is able to go, you know, to flank inland and go around his forces. The British and the Italian, uh, the British and the Indians and the Australians, they learn to live with the land. They learn to live within the confines of the desert because you've got the hard desert, like you were saying, that you can travel on. You've got soft desert that you cannot travel on. You, your, your vehicle will sink and you'll be stuck and you won't go anywhere. You've got mountains. You've got mountain ranges. You've got gaps. Or maybe I shouldn't say mountains, but you've got heights with gaps that you have to learn that you can travel through. And so it's got its varied um, different features, but you've got to learn to live in that and know where you can go and where you can't go. And here's just another advantage for the British. Before World War II, there was a British, an English society that learned how to live in the desert because a lot of the British people traveled. They traveled to Egypt, they traveled to North Africa and various places. And so this society came up with very practical ways about how to survive in the desert. Well, of course, the British government finds out about this, the army finds about uh, about this, and they incorporate what this society has learned. So the British were a lot more comfortable in the desert than the Italians. And they were able to function a lot. Um, they were able to function a lot better and be more mobile. Unfortunately for the British, Rommel is going to learn those same lessons through trial and error. But he is also going to learn to use the terrain of the desert in its various aspects against the British. And he uses their very same tactics against them by outflanking them and almost in some ways treating the, the, this vast area like a naval engagement. It's so big, as long as you go the right way and stay on the right type of terrain, you can travel great distances inland, get around your enemy and hit them in the back. And that is what Rommel and the British are going to do to each other time and time again for the next couple of years. No, that's, that's extremely fascinating. Well, Ray Harris Jr., thank you so much for coming on my show and talking with me today. It has been in absolute delight speaking with you. And obviously, I recommend your podcast to all those listening, uh, the History of World War II podcast. Um, but Ray, thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you all so much for listening today to Stories of the Second World War. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform and consider leaving a positive rating and review. You can also find the podcast at storiesofthesecondworldwar.com with more information about the show. Thanks so much for listening. Join us right here again next week.